Welcome to the home and home partially congested Ken Weeb on the way back from Washington to Winnipeg for the second half of the Jets Capitals back-to-back edition of the playoff stretch boarding pass. Uh, this is the Athletic Winnipeg, the boarding pass with Ken Weeb and myself, Murata Tesh. Ken, you're on your way back from an absolute roller coaster of a game. So let's start there. The Jets go down 3 nothing. Uh, it looks like everything's done for them. And all of a sudden, uh, a little bit of a, a good forecheck, a lucky bounce. Nick Euler scores a goal and then things turn around. What's the story? How do you make sense of a game with so much good and bad in it uh, as the Jets scraped out a point? Yeah, great question, and uh, I'll apologize to our loyal listeners uh, in advance for my uh, (laughs) never mind partially congested uh, voice, but uh, we'll do our best here. It was a strange game. Uh, This is one of those classic cases where uh, two polar opposite things can absolutely be true, Marat. It was a... Uh, Boy, I mean, I don't even know how to describe it, to be perfectly honest. I I wouldn't call it a complete no-show for those 34 minutes, but, I mean, at times it was uh, the Jets were playing the role of the JV team against the varsity. I mean, the Capitals were uh, exacting a physical toll. Uh, They scored early. Uh, They threatened to uh, turn this into an outright blowout, but uh, a couple of things happened. Lauren Brassois stood very tall at uh, 3-0 down and made a couple of absolutely uh, 10-bell ringer saves to keep the game within quasi-reach. Uh, there was a frustrated Anthony Batetto taking out his frustrations on one Garnet Hathaway that seemed to provide a little bit of life. And then there was a fortuitous bounce. Uh, in talking to Nikolai Ehlers, he did not think the puck was going to come loose. He thought Holtby had it all the way, and either it was a... Um, too much of a squeeze or not enough uh, allowed the puck to come loose to him after that Cody Eakin shot that came after the turnover from Michael Kempney. So Jets got some late life and found a way in the third to have two incredible plays from two of their most skilled players who happened to be reunited on a line. And boy, oh boy, those hands of Kyle Connor in tight, scoring number 31. And then Mark Shifley at the end of a shift in a game where He did not have much going, uh, found a way to find an extra burst to get to the net. He was tackled by Dmitry Orloff and the puck in, as you mentioned in the article, uh, Ovi-like fashion, uh, going hard to the net. Somehow the puck got underneath Braden Holtby and into the net for the Jets to secure a pretty valuable point. I mean, the difference between a three-game losing skid, I mean, you can still call it a losing streak if you want, but putting a point in the bank rather than none and getting blown out 5-0, uh, that is a major psychological difference. People can say what they want about turning the page and looking at the next game, but uh, if the Jets had been blown out uh, handily, I think that, that it would have been a hard one to get up off from the mat from when they host the Capitals here on Thursday. Yeah, the, the tone would have been very, very different in the room in the post game, and instead of you know, Blake Wheeler talking about Anthony Batetto getting sick and tired of being fucking pushed around and stepping up and all of that sort of stuff. It would be another post-mortem. I, I, I like the Shifley goal, not not only because there's a little bit of a falling, um, and maybe in Shifley's case it was more of a fortunate bounce, but it's a falling goal, a lot of heart and hustle, and it, to me, I, I like it as, a, as an Ovechkin tribute in a way, especially on a night he gets honored for scoring his 700th and then Ovechkin scores his 701st 
to start things off as well. But I just like it as a heart and hustle play. Nick Ehlers gave Shifley a half step on Dmitry Orlov, but Shifley turned that half step into a corner turned, and then he drives the net. And from there, once you get to that goal mouth, good things can happen, just like they happen to Nick Ehlers, as, as per your conversation as well. Um, which is kind of interesting. I think it's a microcosm of the Jets' season. Good and bad are mixed together. There are no black and white answers. The team is in the mix, but certainly not in a playoff spot. They're not in it. They're not out of it. They're just there and continue to fight through. I wanted to bring up a couple of stats and and run them your way as well. Just um, over the last 25 games or so since January 1st, the Jets have been outscored 62 to 43 at 5 on 5, which is a very unplayoff like pace at 5 on 5. Nearly 2 to 1, they've they've been outscored in that stretch uh, as a ratio. But then this wild and crazy thing has happened. Their penalty kill is the second best in the National Hockey League's from January 1st to now. And I'm not sure that 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 we've you and I have spoken to too much about that. The power plays up to 13th best in that stretch as well. Early in the season, it was Connor Hellebuck putting the team on, on his back. And all of a sudden, special teams are getting it done. As Hellebuck has been very good, not no longer absolutely elite. Laurent Brassois has gone from struggling to, well, don't look now. He's won two out of his last three with a 936 save percentage. I think the real driver has been special teams. And I wanted to go there um, because despite that, there have been a couple of key power plays lately where the Jets have been unable to capitalize, and that counts for the road trip as well. What did you see on this trip in these in these key moments from from special teams? It's interesting, Murad. I mean, obviously, special or the penalty kill has improved uh, dramatically for sure. I mean, the thing that's tough. I mean, when a power play has run as efficiently as the Jets have over the last two seasons, previous two seasons when they were. Uh, a right near the top or B in the top 10. I mean, t- people expect them to score every time when I think what we forget a lot about a lot of the time is that an effective power play runs somewhere in the neighborhood of, you know, 26 to 30 percent. I mean, that's still a very good ratio, but it's like the it's like a 300 hitter in baseball. That still means you fail seven out of 10 times. But at the same time, I mean, there are times in a game where a team that is chasing the lead or down by a goal and has this vaunted power play come onto the ice, those are times when the power play needs to step up and deliver. I mean, the Jets' power play has delivered for them in recent games, for sure. I mean, both games against Ottawa are prime examples where there were three power play goals in each, resulting in hat-tricks for you know, Patrick Laine and Mark Scheifele. So it's not like they haven't delivered, but... I mean, to expect them to deliver all the time is also just something that is not rational either. But I think there have been improvements in the power play. And, I mean, as much as we talk about, I mean, Neil Pionk is not Dustin Bufflin or Jacob Truba, but he's been more productive than Bufflin in a year when the Jets had the best power play out there. So, for me, I think his shot is getting through with a little bit more frequency. I mean, we saw the line A one-timer in Philly. I mean, well... To be perfectly honest, I, I didn't actually see it, uh, but that meant I knew where it went. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, it was one of those where, wow, and, and that wasn't, that was a, a knuckle, a knuckler is not accurate. It was an absolute bullet, but it was on a rolling puck. So, I mean, the power play has been a lot better 
it just there have been times where there have been that it's left you shaking your head because in a game like yesterday, I think the first power play, the Jets did not get a shot on goal, nor did they even get set up in the offensive zone for any significant zone time. So, I mean, it still remains a work in progress, but I think that the the key weaponry is is, is have, has found a way to to you know create a few more options, and you're still seeing those glorious chances from the slot from Mark Scheifele, and I have to imagine that one of them is going to convert uh, at some point here in the next in the next little bit for that slot shot. But yeah, I mean, it definitely has been a factor. I mean, you're right. Team, you can't be outscored by 18 to 20 goals and expect to, to be a playoff team unless you're getting elite level goaltending and unless special teams carry the day. So it'll be interesting to see if they can, what they can do on the man advantage and on the penalty kill uh, over the last 17 games, because this time of year, and there's so many one goal games, special teams are, absolutely uh, critical for for both teams uh, battling battling away yeah i got onto this topic because i was looking at that wild card race and i was you know obviously wins and losses by far the most important that's what matters but i was just looking at the goal differential of the various teams and in both cases in the central division and the pacific division everybody's got a the, the three teams that have their playoffs uh, that are not in the wild card spots that have the divisional playoff spots. They've got happy green positive goal differentials. You got St. Louis plus twenty seven, Dallas plus eleven, Colorado is plus forty six uh, to lead the Western Conference in that regard. Same thing. Everybody's positive. Vegas, Vancouver, Edmonton. You get into the wild card race, and that's kind of where things start to change. Calgary's a minus six on the year, um, which is impressive that they're ahead of some teams with uh, worse, with better. Pardon me, goal differentials. Nashville, the team that I think is the team to watch at this stage, they're exactly even at 198 goals for and 198 against, but they're tied with the Jets and the Coyotes at 70 points. Uh, Nashville holds on to that second wild card spot right now because they've played fewer games. They've got a higher points percentage. They're tied with the Jets, but have three games in hand. And that's a tough, tough outer, a tough, tough thing to come back from. And the National Predators have four games in hand on the Arizona Coyotes as well. Um, I'm almost beginning to wonder if it's possible that Calgary is the team to look at to struggle um, as opposed to necessarily Nashville, because I think that they're in a, a really, really good spot. Maybe with 17 games out, though, for the Jets, that is. Um, it might be too early to do that jockeying, and really just it's about them executing, and it's about them winning, and uh, it's about them not getting scored on first nine games in a row. Um, that's, a, that's an awful stat, and it's, I think it's more of an indictment of the fact that it's likely that at any given moment, the Jets are probably more likely to be scored on right now than to, to score that goal. But their starts are certainly key. Dropping one goal down is certainly key. And then uh, getting that ever-important second goal, because that one counts for an awful lot too. I, I'm impressed that the Jets have been able to go 5-4-1 and one over their last 10 despite this stretch. Um, again, Ken, it's all of this. There's such a murky middle to this team. I mean... Uh, even on days when, you know, Shifley can score a magical goal like that, Kyle Connor can score a magical goal like that, the start was poor, the weekend starts were poor, the weekend finish against Buffalo was was really quite poor. Um, as we begin to think about uh, the post-trade deadline health for everybody, Sami Niku injures himself ostensibly during the pregame soccer warm-up, and that's just a couple of days after Josh Morrissey is hurt. 
there is nothing remotely easy about the Winnipeg Jets right now. And I guess the one thing I can say about that is that the fact that they are still in the fight, to use their phrase, I was looking for another one to try to dodge it. But the fact that they ha- that they they're still in this and 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 haven't outright sort of shown despondence, I think, honestly, to me, is is a bit of an impressive thing. Um, and I guess that's what you got to do when you're still tied for that second wild card spot. Um, I don't know. I don't know what kind of an emotional toll all of this must take on these guys. Um, and with Paul Maurice and with Blake Wheeler being kind of Blake Wheeler, especially being wired to post games sometimes that slips and cracks haven't necessarily come out too, too much. Um, I think is an impressive thing as well. But as I say that, I got to ask you what you thought about Paul Maurice essentially calling out Nick Ehlers the other day when he promoted Jansen Harkins to that top line spot. Yeah, you know what? Uh, lots to unpack there, Marat, for sure. I mean, the murky middle was something we <laughs> yeah, talked a lot of about words. <laughs> via, via text there last night. I mean, that uh, you're right. I mean, there's so much, so much. Uh, the old uh, the balancing act. Uh, the old you're on the you're on the you're on the swing set here. You're wondering if it's going to be up or down, and it's just hard to really get a real gauge on on which version of the Jets these guys really are. Uh, in terms of the juggle. Uh, for me, this is how I saw it. That top line was not generating much, and I think just almost by accident, Ehlers and Eakin went out for a four-on-four shift that was pretty successful. And then after that, I mean, he kind of kept them together almost to a degree. I mean, Jansen Harkins went to the net, drew the penalty. Uh, I still haven't fully determined if that was on a carryover shift or if that was already a shift with Wheeler and Shifley, but... It was more of a, the message sending is the straight line part. I don't think it was a direct assault on Nikolai Ehlers and you can't play on this line. Uh, It was more of, in order to have success with those two guys, like Kyle Connor has had, uh, you need to play more of a straight line game. And I think there were stretches on the road trip where Nikolai Ehlers was in the east-west mode a little bit more regularly or frequently as uh, maybe the coaching staff would have liked. Uh, Harkins gave an immediate jolt, but... I mean, I also, I mean, I was calling for the blender to be out after the second period as well. I just, I, I wondered if it would be the other way. Either it was going to be, I actually thought it might be Line A and, and Ehlers was Shifley in the third period yesterday and, and instead of the other way. But obviously uh, the coach's plan worked out okay for him uh, in this case as well. But, I mean, Nashville's interesting. I mean, they they have an even goal differential despite shoddy goaltending this year whereas the Jets have had elite level goaltending and have an only a plus one goal differential so uh, be that as it may uh, I mean Calgary got a little bit better at the deadline I think by adding a puck mobile puck moving defenseman and Eric Gustafson that can help their power play but they're only going to go as far as their top guns go and I mean it was it's been an interesting year for Goodrow and Monaghan Elias Lindholm has been excellent but I mean Calgary is an is an interesting one for sure Nashville, I'm still not sure what they are. They've got a lot of offensive depth that has been up and down. I mean, Ryan Ellis being back is obviously going to help them, but it's all about goaltending for Nashville too. If they get sufficient goaltending rather than elite-level goaltending, uh, they do look uh, pretty well prepared. But the Jets are interesting. I, I know that people were you know, kind of up in arms at Cody Eakin being with Nikolai Ehlers and how that's a promotion or a big demotion, but I, I would remind them this is very similar in in nature to the original Jack Roslovic demotion from the second line to the third line when he went through a uh, long funk 
there as well, but I think it was one goal in, what is it, 19 games or whatever it was. By sending that group over the boards third, they uh, often get out against the second and third pairing. So the move was made to help him get on track offensively. And yes, I know that Cody Eakin is not a natural playmaker a la Paul Stasty, but he's also been one of the most effective players for the Jets and his ability to finish every check and, and do those sorts of things uh, is something that I think that it was like it was like last year when Paul Maurice put Patrick Line with um, Brandon Tanev and Adam Lowry. It was a it was a reminder to get your feet moving and get working, and then the offense will come. So I mean that's how I interpreted that uh, the secondary part of that move as well. Uh, for sure, I I definitely the the east west versus straight lines thing. I I, I heard heard that the same way as as you. For me, it was it was pointed a little. Uh, at Ehlers, and I was just looking it up though. Uh, Ehlers is at 13 points in his 13 uh, February games, uh, including his goal and assist against uh, Washington um, as part of that comeback. And um, it's he's an interesting one for me because historically Ehlers, Line, and a center who has usually been Brian Little hasn't been a phenomenal. Uh, hasn't been a force. They haven't really controlled zone time or uh, the balance of shot attempts or, or things like that. That Paul Stastny version was quite excellent, though. And even since then, since we've seen Line and Ehlers for long stretches, both of those two players have made massive strides forward, I would argue, as well. So um, I'm not going to argue that Cody Eakin is in the Paul Stastny, Brian Little uh, range. He's certainly not in the Mark Shifley range or the various other center combinations. Even Andrew Kopp, who's played, I think it's 58 minutes between those two players. Uh, but I think that the version of Nick Ehlers and Patrick Laine that the Jets can boast here and now, today, this year, as part of the stretch run, is probably giving Cody Eakin a little bit more to work with than when they were each a couple of years younger as well, uh, which is a, a sign of progress, I guess, for, for those young wingers. For me, there's also another interesting angle to all of this is kind of like, for the lack of a better phrase, when the shit hit the fan against Washington, a lot of, there was, again, two truths. One truth is this, Paul Maurice went back to the well he knew with Connor Shifley and Wheeler um, as, the, as the top line, which is a tried and mostly true. There have been some rough stretches, but mostly strong over the last couple of years um, group and, and trio. And even last year when they were apart, you knew by the end, by season's end that those three were going to get reunited. So there's a little bit of everybody going back to what they knew. And at the same time, um, it's after a period where young Jansen Harkins is on the first line. It's before the overtime where Paul Maurice rolls three forwards. So at the exact same time, there's a bit of progressiveness and regressiveness um, in terms of the decision-making. And I, and I just think that it's, you know, you can take whatever you want from these Winnipeg Jets. If you think that he's a regressive coach, you can point to that return to that line. If you think he's a progressive coach, you can you can look at those three forwards as well. Uh, certainly the, the defensive depth will, will hurt it. Um, and as a random relation, just because it's Washington, do you remember a couple of years ago, it's two seasons ago, it was the classic Blake Wheeler post game where he was saying, we haven't made the playoff we haven't made the playoffs yet. You're talking Stanley Cup contender that night. That was a comeback win over the Washington Capitals where Maurice ran uh, Brian Little as an extra forward and while shorthanded, uh, with, just before the goalie pulled, the, the Jets rolled three forwards and one defenseman uh, as part of an attempt to come back after Dustin Bufflin's penalty as well. So in the midst 
of this stuff that critics will view as regressive. Every once in a while, you get these nuggets that are actually quite modern, I would say, uh, in the NHL scope as well. It's just another of the many examples in which this team, to me, is all, all things. Um, <laughs> good, bad, and, and everything in, be, in between. I got to ask, at this stage, 17 games left. You mentioned playoff. Uh, sorry, you mentioned the trade deadline. Pardon me. Um, we've talked a little bit about Eakins and DeMello. Uh, <laughs> you mentioned Calgary's addition. I'm going to interrupt myself, Ken. I'm sorry. I've done this a couple of times. One tangent and then another. How funny is it that Johnny Godreau has to use the washroom in the middle of practice on deadline day and Twitter is ablaze with panic and rumors and speculation because the guy just had to just had to use the washroom, left the ice for just a few seconds. I don't know if you saw that buzz, but stay it lit my Twitter aflame for a little while. Gotta, Gotta stay, stay hydrated. hydrated. I mean, it's it just the market that it's the world we live in. The old Twitterverse. I mean, it was. I mean, mostly joking the day you know a couple days before. Malkin a late scratch. I mean, again, there was no chance he was getting traded, but I mean. Once the great one was once traded, everyone, all bets are off. So, I mean, no one's untouchable, I guess. So it is a little bit strange. Um, before the tangent is complete, uh, I'm just going to weigh in quickly on there's, there's <laughs> one big reason that Kyle Connor was put with Mark Shifley. It was to get 55 going. Uh, I mean, we had the, there's a two game surge where Mark uh, had the two assists and then had the hat trick in the four point game. But, uh, Mark, this is that move by reuniting them with Kyle Connor is all about a comfort and b players you enjoy playing together and that have had success. So I mean that that to me it's not a knock on Nikolai Ehlers. It's it's more a a comfort level to try to do whatever they can to get Mark Scheifele going because prior to the goal yesterday, the you know excellent goal, incredible effort. Uh, I mean, I think there was a stretch for almost 55 minutes where Mark Scheife and Blake Wheeler had zero shots on goal so uh, I mean I've written about it before we've talked about it the Jets need Mark Scheifele to be their best player on every night and it's a hard job what he's having to go through going up against the other team's best center but the only way that team is going to survive is if Mark Scheifele is operating at full capacity and he'll need help from Blake Wheeler, Kyle Connor, Nikolai Ehlers, Patrick Line and all through the lineup but He's going to have to be their best player. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. So I think that going back to the well, in, in this case, while some may see it as regressive, I think that it's a smart move for now. You always know you can put Ehlers back in there and and, and maybe even try Ehlers in line A with Shifley. But for now, I think it was a smart move, and, I mean, it paid off in, in the short term. I mean, Paul Maurice has been quite upfront saying it, it's going to be a bit of a uh, box of chocolates in that top six, depending on who's going which nights, because the Jets because they're not getting any fourth line scoring they are relying on their they are reliant on their top six so i mean if someone's not going in a particular evening you can't have a night where the guy has no shots on goal so i mean there's going to be some pressure on those guys to continue to perform and i mean crazy about Deku for sure but i mean any any of the conspiracy theorists out there that were suggesting the jets were just looking for a reason to scratch sammy Deku, i mean we saw how excited Sam Niku was in the morning when he was not skating with the extras uh, and doing extra conditioning. And I also saw him in the hallway yesterday after the game, and the limp is significant. Uh, Paul Maurice was not lying when he was said there was no 50-50 call about this. Niku can barely walk, so uh, there was going to be no way that he could skate. I mean, without seeing what happened, I mean, you just can imagine Niku's horror. Uh, 
you know, he's handled the the healthy scratches so well. And then now your mind gets all these. I mean, people who don't understand. I mean, athletes are wired to be competitive. Now, it's easy to say, what the hell is this guy doing? But I mean, whether you're you're reaching too hard for a ball or the ball gets under your foot and you roll your ankle. I mean, I assume it's his ankle. I don't know that for sure. I'm not a doctor. I don't play one on TV, but uh, it, it's the most likely outcome. But just like Mason Appleton wasn't planning on rolling his ankle when he went up to conceivably intercept a pass. I mean, like, these things happen. I mean, I don't think there's going to be a ban on these. I don't think this will be added to the banned activity list like skiing and whatever else guys have in their contracts. But... Put these guys in bubble wrap, Ken. Just don't let them express their natural desire to be athletes ever, except for when their skates are on. No, fair, but I mean, you, it just it's just a classic scenario. I mean, it, it's just unfortunate for for a guy like Sammy who has endured so much that uh, uh, that would happen to him. But uh, I mean, we'll see how they respond. I mean, to me, the bigger issue for the Jets is, I mean, what is the injury to Josh Morrissey, and how long is he going to be out? I mean, Dylan DeMello has obviously helped since his arrival but I think the Jets are going to be better when Dylan DeMello was playing beside Josh Morrissey and we basically have not seen that yet so uh, the patchwork uh, has continued on the back end and after some struggles yesterday uh, they sorted some things out but I mean I I think the Jets defense core has to play better I think uh, several players have not we're not operating at uh, their full capacity on this road trip and the results were noted I think uh, for several of them. Yeah, no doubt about it. Absolutely. Uh, the the day that Morrissey and DeMello are a healthy top pairing uh, is a step forward for the Jets. And, you know, in, in comparison to the elite level teams that we've seen in recent years, um, Winnipeg is even one top four defenseman short with DeMello added to the group. But with DeMello, Pionk, and a healthy Josh Morrissey, ideally you'd like even more to get into that previous range. So with Morrissey out... With Batetto caught a step behind on um, Hathaway's goal right before their fight. With Jacob Verana absolutely burning. Uh, I'm going to actually say Tucker Pullman, from my look of the replay, and again, I'm not a professional coach. I just watch video and hockey a, a, a lot. I think that it was on Pullman to read Batetto was never going to catch Verana and, and get over there. And at the same time, we got to acknowledge the high-speed play that Verana made as, as just a very good play. But when these things are happening with some level of consistency, it's tough to bank on a, a lot of wins or a or a positive goal differential at five on five. That's how you get outscored sixty two to forty three or like in in twenty twenty in the last twenty five games at five on five. Um, those types of steps forward. And I want to go back to Mark Scheifele and maybe we can finish with him because I wrote fairly critically of his defense on a particular play and a little bit in general, but on a particular play recently and it's such a cliche for a pundit to take out uh, a team's struggles that have more to do with a lack of a quality supporting cast on the superstar player that's a that's a cliche as old as time well you know um mcdavid's barely won the playoffs he must not be very or made the playoffs he must not be a very good hockey player that's i i consider that line of reasoning a little bit uh flawed I'll, I'll say that uh, for a for a fine word so I'm not going to pile on Mark Scheifele and say that he is anything but a star on these Jets and that like you say Ken the stretch run depends on him being at his best instead of long stretches without even a shot um, 
so Mark Shifley is not to blame for the injuries or the depth or what the fourth line has been or anything else other than Mark Shifley's own shifts. And with perhaps his ability to find that other gear being one of the most important stories down the stretch line, I'm still looking for him to prove game over game that he has it in him to wear that pressure and take that burden and supplant Blake Wheeler as the most important skater on the team. Um, b- blunt question, I guess what I'm building up for is, does he have it in him? Question mark. Can we question mark? Yeah, there's no doubt he has it in him. Uh, I think that nobody's worked harder on his overall game, but uh, I mean, Mark is like Cindy Crosby in that he is always trying to do those things. But the one area that still needs work is his defensive game. And I think that, I mean, one of his favorite athletes of all time is Tom Brady and Tom Brady gets ripped by Bill Belichick. I, I, I know that there's some people in our market who wonder why Paul Maurice is not as critical as of Mark Shifley as he is of a younger player, a Jack Roslevic, for example, or maybe why doesn't Mark Shifley get called out? Well, it, it's a different rules for a different player's situation in the NHL hierarchy. Uh, I, I think that Mark Shifley would be shown that video clip if the game in Buffalo, and I think you handled it pretty well, very well actually, is what I told you before, and I'll, I'll tell you again, and with our listeners listening, that that play is twofold for me, and it, again, it's a microcosm of the season for me, Marat. Mark Shifley came, a, he made three really hard strides to get himself close enough to make a play on Kyle Oposo, but then for whatever reason, he started coasting, which is what left most of us sort of just surprised, right? I mean, it was just one of those strange plays where he exerted the effort to get in range to make the play, but then didn't finish the play. And it wasn't because he didn't want to finish the play, but something obviously happened on the play, whether it was subconsciously or otherwise. I mean, Mark Schleifer doesn't want Kyle Oposo to walk in and score. I think you mentioned it in the article too. I think he may have thought that some someone else was going to close, right? Bolu was going to... I mean, it was just a strange play all around, and uh, it just it was one where that play gets shown in the video room, and Mark Shifley's got to be cringing, right? I mean, there's no other there's no other emotion you can feel in that situation. But I think the other part of it too is that w- when you're a player, any player, and Connor Hellebuck has bailed out so many guys. I mean, the initial mistake was not Mark Shifley's; it was it was the pinch by Bolu, right, that created the the separation. So. I think that might have been a situation, and I'm not taking Mark Shifley off the hook. He needed to take the last two strides, no doubt about it. But I think maybe the Jets were, I mean, the mentality, the only explanation that I can come up with is he must have been expecting Connor Hellebuck to come up with that save in that situation. Otherwise, you take the final two strides and try to either take a penalty or knock the puck off of the guy's stick. I mean, that's all that I can see. But in terms of can Mark do it, yes, he can. I mean... He's been a point-of-game player. Uh, no matter what kind of frustration level he may have, he has the ability to be an elite two-way player in the NHL. He is Right now, he easily is an elite player when it comes to providing offense, but the defensive part of this game is not at a level provided by Patrice Bergeron, Ryan O'Reilly, Sean Couturier. All three players that he has played in recent stretches, and to be perfectly honest it has not gone overly well in those head-to-head battles and 
I mean, Ryan O'Reilly has got the hardware to prove that he is that two-way player, dominant player, and so does Bergeron. So uh, there is a level that Mark can reach. He can still get better. He's pushing himself to get better. And uh, like I said, the Jets don't make the playoffs unless Mark Scheifele is their best player during this stretch. And that is, with all due respect to Blake Wheeler, who's going to have to play a valuable role during this stretch, the season comes down to Connor Hellebuck being above average to elite and Mark Scheifele playing a starring role with this team. Well said. Uh, start to finish. No verbal uh, barrage coming from me after that. I think that that's exactly realistic. And and Ken, thanks for joining us. This is the Boarding Pass podcast and you're doing it as I hear flight announcements in the background. This is as thematically apt of a podcast as perhaps we have ever recorded. Um, and certainly the theme of Mark Shifley and Connor Shifley Connor Halibut, pardon me, needing to be elite throughout the end of the season, I think, is as apt as possible. For the moment, this is Murad Atesh. Thank you for listening to The Boarding Pass. Please rate and subscribe to The Boarding Pass on Apple. If you click on the show URL, which is theathletic.com slash theboardingpass, you'll get 40% off your subscription. A nice discount for listening to us and spending time with us each week. Uh, for Ken Weave, this is Murad Atesh, and this is The Boarding Pass.